Today's program is brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit culinarycenter.com. I'm Dave Arnold, host of Cooking Issues. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Listen to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Arroway. So Passover is just around the corner. Um, it's coming up a little early this year, April 4th. So if you're looking to hoist a dinner party or just celebrate some everyday comfort foods from the, the Jewish cuisine um, sphere, uh, it's, a, it's actually a very large and vast sphere, and I've been learning all about it thanks to a new book that I'm holding right now. It's called Modern Jewish Cooking Recipes and Customs for Today's Kitchen. The author, Leah Koenig, is in the studio. How are you? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining. Um, Leah, you're such a you know, longtime food writer. You've written for Sever, Wall Street Journal, New York Times. Um, you also have another, your first cookbook, the Hasada Everyday Cookbook, um, which uh, was also about contemporary Jewish cooking. So is that sort of your shtick? Yeah, I would say, um, good good use yeah. of the word shtick. I'm very <laughs> impressed. Um, yeah, I would say that, you know, both of the, the books, but particularly this one is really sort of just a reflection of um, how I cook, how I eat, mm-hmm. how I sort of engage with, with Jewish cuisine. Um, and it really is trying to find um, putting one foot in the world of tradition and one right. foot in the world of um, where we are today and, and making them talk to each other. Yeah, it definitely has your signature on it. I mean, you know, you're obviously a person living in New York City. Um, Mm -hmm. There's like colorful green market produce throughout. So it kind of speaks to to where we have come, I guess, with Jewish food. Yeah, I mean, I think um, many different people, whether they're, you know, Jewish or Taiwanese or Mm -hmm. Korean or Japanese or whatever, are really um, kind of... uh, mining our own traditions and really sort of looking for the things that maybe a generation before us kind of brushed under the table or Mm. didn't really want to engage with. Um, and I wonder why that is. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, I think it's something about being, you know, third generation or fourth generation. And, um, we have sort of a freedom to kind of, um, explore and and take on some of the things that maybe were embarrassing to our our parents and grandparents generation you know i mean (laughs) i'm really close friends with the folks who run gefilteria which is a boutique artisanal Mm -hmm. jewish food company that makes gefilte fish and it's really really good Mm -hmm. it's it bears in some ways complete resemblance to what your grandma maybe made but in some ways is a totally different animal or fish i guess (laughs) (laughs) so it's kind of re-embracing it with a a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek is that it because it's iconic yeah hated (laughs) (laughs) well you know i think um jewish culture and jewish tradition has such a element of humor to it so Mm. there's definitely a tongue-in-cheek vibe but on the on the other hand i really 
I think there's so much to um, to enjoy and to explore that is is you know serious, not in a serious kind of way, yeah. but you know there's there's so much to explore um, that have, you almost don't even need the humor in some ways. Yeah, I have to tell you, Leah, when I went to a Passover seder at my neighbor friend's house uh, when I was a little kid, I was the only one at the table who ate the gefilte fish because <laughs> it reminded me of fish balls. That oh my gosh, that's <laughs> from <hysterical>. Chinese food. <laughs> That's hysterical. Was yeah. what, literally all the other plates were just like scraped oh, into the garbage. Oh, oh my gosh! The mom had to force feed people. Oh uh, the God. kids were crying. Like there's tears. Well, you know the stuff. Um, <laughs> the stuff. The, the jelly in a glass jar, kind of murky liquid hockey puck <laughs> gefilte fish. I don't blame anybody for yeah. not wanting that. But homemade fresh, like the gefilte. How's it go? Gefilteria. Gefilteria. Oh, like. yeah. Um, well, they, you know, they do a, an interesting thing in that they um, use other types of fish. They use some salmon and some mm. um, other types of white fish uh, to kind of freshen it up. But they also um, have found different ways to cook it. And, and it, actually, in my book, um, usually gefilte fish is cooked in this kind of really stinky fish broth, which <laughs> I personally um, don't like. I just can't hang with that. But so I, I um, used a, a white wine kind of court bouillon which is a you know an herb infused white wine um broth so it really is a much lighter and much uh, more kind of fragrant and really lets the fish shine through without having that overpowering heavy like punch you in the face fish thing going on right right so this recipe looks beautiful your gefilte fish and white wine broth white wine and herb broth is colorful. It looks like there's carrots studded throughout it. Yeah, there's fresh herbs. There's lemon zest. Really, oh. um, you know, all the things that when you're cooking fish, um, kind of help to you brighten to it bright, up. French, yeah, it up. yeah. Wow, that's a really good take. Thanks. You know, and that's the thing I was trying to sort of get at is one. You know, Jewish food kind of has this stigma around it of being really heavy and mm-hmm. being really bland and. Um, you know, I, I don't think I think every stereotype has a grain of truth in it, and mm-hmm. and some of, some of the ways that Jewish food has been kind of manifested over the last half century or so, it, it kind of lived up to that mm-hmm. um, to that reputation. But I think there's ways to do it that are much fresher, and I also think that if you go beyond the Eastern European tradition to you know Sephardic or Middle Eastern Jewish food cuisines there's so much more um, fresh produce and a focus on olive oil and a focus on brighter fresher flavors that um, you really have quite a vibrant cuisine right because in America we tend to think of Jewish food as Ashkenazi Mm -hmm. cuisine Mm -hmm. Um, that is just the majority of the folks who came over Ellis Island yeah yeah yeah. between sort of 1850 to 1920 or so you know you had first uh, um, the German German Jews coming in the 1840s and 50s and then you had um, Eastern European Jews coming on mass in the Mm -hmm. 1880s to 1920s and they you know they're the ones who made Russian daughters and kind of you know, Zabars and all the institutions that we think of um, when we think of Jewish food in this country. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's but, much, much broader. Yeah. And your book incorporates them all. Like right now I'm looking at a, a recipe for fool, madame, fool, madame. I, you know, I'm not going to pretend I am a, yeah. an expert in how you say everything. So, <laughs> but I've seen this, you know, in Middle Eastern and Lebanese like cuisines. It's a, you mentioned it's from Egypt, Egyptian Jews, this particular recipe. Yeah. So, I mean, the thing that's interesting about Jews is, you know, and Jewish 
the Jewish trajectory is that aside from Antarctica, there's probably a Jewish <laughs> community in every part How of every do you country. No, there's none in Antarctica. You know, I'm sure they have great Shabbat dinners in, in Antarctica. <laughs> <laughs> Very cold. Um, but yeah, so Jewish tradition throughout time has kind of eaten the foods of its neighbors and then adapted that cuisine to kind of fit the needs of the kosher laws and of the Jewish holidays. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and over time that has sort of, you know, grown into their, their own special take on it. So anywhere you look, there's, there's interesting Jewish food to be. That's uh, true. Yeah. Yeah. What is like a, I guess a quintessential dish from the Sephardic uh, Jewish cuisine? Um, There's a lot of different ones. Um, One of my favorites is um, it's called Chrimi. It's, um, it's like a, uh, spicy tomato sauce that you poach fish in. Um, okay. There is a, tilap- a tilapia dish in the book that's very, um, very much inspired by Jaime. Oh. Um, but, you know, even Sephardic cuisine is sort of lumped together uh, as sort of this one kind of big unit, but it, it's, um. you know, the food of Jews in, um, in Spain and in Morocco and in um, parts of South America. So there really is um, that it's such a broad category yeah. in itself, but that's one of my favorites. So what was it like researching for all these different cuisines that, you know, you mentioned it's such a vast swath and, um, and your particular family is um, from the Eastern European. Yeah. I'm an Eastern European mutt. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Ashkenazi tradition. Yeah. Yeah. So how, how did you find these recipes? And um, You know, it's, I've been writing about uh, Jewish food probably for the last seven or eight years. Mm-hmm. And it's over time, you know, you just, you kind of get bored of the one focus that you have and you kind of try to look for other things within the tradition. And so I cook in people's kitchens. I read a lot of books. Um, one of, one of my favorite experiences is, um, you know, the, uh, Ethiopian Jewish community is actually quite large. Most Ethiopian Jews now live in Israel, the the vast majority, but you know, for thousands of years, they They, lived in Ethiopia. Mm -hmm. So, um, are you familiar with Dora Watt, their chicken stew? Oh, it's uh, a, no. <laughs> it's okay. I wasn't really either. But it's a traditional um, chicken stew that's eaten across Ethiopia, mm-hmm. but that Ethiopian Jews kind of um, started to serve on Shabbat and um, serve it in their own kind of particular way. So mm-hmm. I got to cook uh, with a woman who lives in Harlem now, BG Barhani is her name. Um, and she runs a uh, Ethiopian Jewish cultural f- uh, foundation in New York, and so she took me oh, into her, cool. her house, and we cooked. And wow! Her kids were running underneath our feet, and it all felt very like familiar, but it also um, was something totally new to me. Wow! So it was a really that's really neat. Yeah, yeah, because I imagine it would be hard to find um, with outside of the home kitchens. You know, a lot of really authentic homestyle dishes. Um, I mean, we can all go to Katz's Deli. We can go to Gus's and Gus's Russ, Pickles. Russ and Daughters. And Gus find, and Russ. Gus's, <laughs> you can all go to Gus, Russ, and whatever. Uh, but, you know, there's like these uh, traditional kind of longstanding, uh, I guess, what do you call it? Just like um, institutions sure. to Ashkenazi cuisine in New York, particularly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, do we see examples of other? Yeah, I mean, if you go to Los Angeles, there's a huge Persian Jewish community, so mm-hmm. there will be you know restaurants out there that that kind of speak to that. Um, here in New York, um, one of my favorite examples is the Bukharian Jews who live in Regal Park, Queens. Um, mm-hmm. The Bukharian Jews are the Jews of Central Asia, so they oh. are kind of like um, Tashkent and and 
kind of near Mongolia. So like their food is really, it was traditionally from like thousands of years ago, Persian. Okay. And then has all of these sort of Silk Road influences. Wow. Um, so you've got China, you've got Mongolia, you've got some India that kind of crept in there. Um, just no because of all the people that kind of moved in and out through where they lived. And now all those Jews have moved either to Israel or to Regal Park, Queens. There's like <laughs> tens of thousands of wow. Bukharian Jews there, and they have great restaurants. So, wow. you know, when I first moved here, I had never heard of Bukharian Jews growing up in Chicago where I did. And you know, my friend took me to this restaurant, and it was amazing and just so flavorful and so different. But again, had that thread of something that felt really familiar Wow, that is really exciting. So, yeah, there are. You have to look a lot harder. Mm-hmm. Um, I bet. But they are there. And tell me more about, like, this kind of new wave appreciation for, um, I guess, rediscovering Jewish food in America. Because you kind of note that, you know, within the last 10 years, we've seen a drastic change in perception. Totally. Um, um, yeah, I think that goes back to a little bit what we were talking about before. Like where, filter, yeah. Well, or Maya Lend, or, you know, mm-hmm. Why Sons Deli out in San Francisco, or Kaplansky's in Toronto. I mean, there's people who are sort of saying, hey, you know, these foods are ours, and they're interesting, and... You know, I don't have to kind of keep them in a time capsule. I can actually bring who I am to these foods. Um, And what you're seeing is just this kind of amazing um, flowering or whatever of uh, of nouveau Jewish cuisine. And I think, you know, people are really connecting to it, even both Jews and people who don't come from that background, because the food's just really delicious. Yeah. And it's really grabbing everyone's attention and in a a lot of exciting ways. Yeah. I feel like every other day there's like a new Jewish food truck popping up somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, Or a new bagel company or, um, you know, we've got uh, black seed bagels here and um, there's bagel shops out and there's one in Detroit, the Detroit Bagel Institute that's doing People it. People are so geeking out. They're totally it. geeking out. <laughs> and it's so cool because we still, um, you know, a lot of us still have grandparents who either speak Yiddish or, right, right. you know, who kind of grew up with these foods very much um, central to who they, you know, to who they are and rejected them. And I think they're really touched to see that we're actually like excited to. Right, right. To, to that is really cool. Yeah. And, and I like how you note um, in talking about this exciting, you know, sea change of of uh, cooking in, in Jewish cuisine. You also write, historically speaking, Jewish cooking has had a tendency to focus on the past, to yearn for what was, hold tightly to tradition, and strive to capture times gone by through food. Mm-hmm. And uh, why is that, you think? I'm going to play ignorant white person right now. Why is that? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a good question. I mean, I think... Jewish, the, the Jewish tradition is, the word tradition is so central um, mm-hmm. to who the Jews, Jewish people are. And because they've lived everywhere, they have to cling to something to, mm. to feel rooted. Um, and, you know, when they're traveling all, th- all throughout the world or being kicked out of places or yes. however, however the case may be. Um, so I think whether it's, you know, connecting to the, te- the textual tradition or connecting to culture, be it music or food, there is sort of this very kind of tight almost protective uh, quality towards culture, th- cu- Jewish culture. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, here, especially in the States where we are much more kind of free, open, boundaryless society, mm-hmm. we, we are able to kind of relax a little bit. Awesome. Um, yeah. That's so exciting. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we're going to cut to a quick little uh, commercial interlude and, and we'll be back chatting more. Sounds good. You 
You are listening to Wild Hearts by Remy De La Roque. This is Eat Your Words on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Culinary Center is a proud sponsor of the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. The ICC, with locations in New York and California, provide cutting-edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef Story. Check out our ICC website at InternationalCulinaryCenter.com. Hola, I'm Daisy Martinez, and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Hey, we're back chatting more with Lena, Leah, Co- bah, Leah Koenig, <laughs> the author of Modern Jewish Cooking. All right, so I love how you describe, Leah, that you were getting into perfecting your own takes on dishes through dinner parties with friends mm-hmm. or just like inviting friends over and making something like bagels from scratch. Mm-hmm. Um, that is so exciting. Can you tell me a little bit about like some of your highlights of of things things gone right? Um, uh, sure, or adventures in, in Jewish DIY. Yes. Um, you know, one of my favorite stories is, you know, uh, my my husband and I um, have people over for a Shabbat dinner, you know, pretty regularly, or we we go out uh, to people's homes for dinner, and that's it's awesome. yeah, it's always just like it's basically an excuse to throw a dinner party every week, so mm-hmm. that's fun. But but one of my favorite examples is um, there is a Jewish holiday called Shavuot, which is happens in the spring, mm-hmm. um, about a month and a half or so after Passover. Okay, and the focus of um, of that holiday culinarily is is dairy foods. So you know you have a lot of cheesecake and plinces is a big thing. Yum. And so I had a friend, uh, my friend Avi, uh, who invited probably like 15 or 20 people over to make blintzes at his house. And this was Mm. maybe like 10 or 15, no, 10 years ago. I'm not old enough for it to be 15 years ago. Um, But we realized that none of us had actually made blintzes before. And we just sort of like had at it and just were like swirling the pan and trying to get our crepes right. And, you know, we had all brought like various random things to put in it. Like <laughs> traditionally you use farmer's cheese or you use um, right. potato, but we had like dulce de leche and we <laughs> had like, you know, someone had made like a strawberry rhubarb compote. And so we just sort of like winged it and it yeah. was so much fun. We had a great time. Modern blintzes. Modern blintzes. Yeah. Pesto and the we, chutney. I think, I think we had some pesto. There may have been some chutney. I don't remember anymore, but you know, it was really just, um, it was fun and it was, felt culturally relevant and it felt open mm. and it was yeah and i bet it was delicious it too. was it was you know since then my my uh blintz crepe making has gotten a little bit i've perfected mm-hmm. it a little bit but it was still a good time so tell me leah how does one uh launch a passover de- uh, seder 
in a way that feels authentic to them. Maybe they're, you know, young, they're living and hosting for the first time mm-hmm. rather than going to their parents. Like, how should we do this? You know, Passover is such a important holiday for people to get right. You know, it's yeah. like it's like Thanksgiving dinner and that mm-hmm. people really expect certain things to be on the table. So of all Jewish holidays, Passover is the hardest one right. to kind of get a little crazy with Mm -hmm. Um, because if like there's no matzo ball soup on the table people like will you know throw a fit oh no you want that yeah yeah so it's it's really trying to find a way to um, update the classics so the gefilte fish that we talked about earlier is a great example Mm -hmm. Um, you know I have a recipe in the cookbook for um, jalapeno shallot matzo balls oh that looks awesome yeah and you know on the one hand like my grandma probably would you know, roll over in her grave (laughs) (laughs) if she knew I was doing that. But the basic recipe is actually just a good solid matzo ball that you add um, some softened shallots and some um, cooked jalapeno to. And it really just brightens things up and it without kind of changing it so drastically that you don't know what, um, what holiday you're talking about. So it's not this like uniform homogenous ball. It has like some, (laughs) some Some, some character, some some, some fresh produce, some spiciness, yeah. Um, so I really think it's it's finding ways to kind of tweak tweak the familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I also am a big... Uh, I'm, I'm not the, the most Martha Stewart crafty person in the world, but mm-hmm. I really think that um, decor is a big deal when you're holding a Passover okay. Seder. So, you know, I kind of want to throw all of the kind of old school silver Judaica, like kiddish oh. <laughs> cups and candlesticks off the I table. I and, you mean. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, not the like pristine white tablecloth and, you know, maybe kind of have more of like a tapestry and like little mason jars of, of flowers and things that kind of just feel um, much right. more modern. So rather than that weird gilded silver platter with the bitter herbs that you dip into cups, <laughs> Maybe like make a, a little arrangement. And exactly a right. Okay, of verbs that people can grab the from. modern day seder plate. Right. Exactly. All right. Exactly. Well, that sounds like a fun activity. Um, do you have any plans coming up for your Seder? Yeah, or? I mean, we go to my, my in-laws who throw a wonderful Seder every year, um, and they live down in D.C., so I'm not I'm not at the stage of my life where I'm, I'm hosting Seders yet, but, mm-hmm. you know, what I try to do is I bring um, foods that we can eat the, the during the non-Seder times. So one of my favorite examples from the cookbook is uh, there's a matzo granola in there. Wow. Um, yeah, you know, breakfast is really hard on Passover because... Because basically everything you want to eat for breakfast, you can't. Leavened yeah, stuff. it's like bagels, you can't. Waffles, you can't. <laughs> pancakes, you know, oatmeal even is not okay. Really? Yeah. Um, so uh, I've kind of developed this this matzo granola. It's not it's not completely my idea, but I I made this really good one with um, coconut and um, walnuts and raisins, and it's really it's really quite good. And you eat it over yogurt, and you almost don't is. remember. That sounds great. Yeah, you can kind of snack on it over the course mm-hmm. of the holiday and kind of energized. Yeah, it gets you through. It gets you through. Well, that's really inventive. And I always say it's not necessarily the thing that I would run to the rest of the year, but during the holiday, it's kind of a godsend. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sure. Um, Speaking of inventiveness, I love how you managed to make a uh, lasagna. Uh It looks like when you're just looking at this photo of the casserole of lasagna it looks totally just like a lasagna but actually it's made with matzah yeah how did you come up with that (laughs) well matzah lasagna i can't uh, claim to have invented it um but it's something that in the last maybe 10 or 15 years you've really started to see a lot more of um and it comes out of uh I guess just desire to, you know, eat 
eat well during the holiday. It's like, you know, you are kind of the holiday is focused on not eating certain things and that's Mm -hmm. kind of has meaning to it, but it doesn't mean you have to suffer through the whole, the whole holiday. So, um, this lasagna is basically a standard spinach lasagna that you sub out, uh, matzah that you kind of soak in water a little bit. So it softens and Mm -hmm. then it takes the place of noodles. And I mean, it's, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I have to say. So it's like familiar too. So it sounds like, um, you know, while you're eating, um, during the, the holiday, um, you, you also have cravings for those same familiar American foods that are sure. A lot of them are hands or hands off hands right off. Now. Yeah. You know, it's, I was a vegetarian for 10 years mm-hmm. and during that time, um, you know, you kind of learn which dishes that you just can't live without and you have to find ways to, mm-hmm. to recreate them. And yeah. I think lasagna is a really good example of that. I see. Well, you know, also on Passover, you're often feeding a crowd as so you want, you know, a good kind of solid casserole to do that. Um, although I have to say recently in the last couple of years, quinoa has been certified, um, kosher for Passover, We've which is talking a whole lot about quinoa on Heritage Radio. <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> um, but it's been such an amazing kind of game changer really? because it's all of a sudden you have this grain, like technically a seed. So it's mm-hmm. not, there's no problem with eating it, but this sure. grain light substance that can really kind of hey. serve as the base of a tabbouleh instead of bulgur, or it can kind of just, you know, you can mix with other herbs or other right. vegetables and make breakfast porridge out of it. I love how the tradition of going without something has paved the way for all these discoveries and uh, great foods that you can do. Totally. Even still. Yeah. You have to get creative for sure. For so, sure. all right. So, Tell me a little bit about your kind of tweaks and um, ways that you've improved some of the classics. So there's um, a brisket recipe, mm-hmm. um, and you have red wine and honey in the braise. Yeah, so that recipe actually comes from a meal that my husband and I had when we were on our honeymoon in Rome. Mm-hmm. Um, and we somehow, through a friend of a friend, got hooked up with um, like the premier kosher caterer of Rome for, really? a, for a Shabbat dinner, which, I mean, was just like the most phenomenal experience ever. Mm. Um, and he served all of these traditional Roman Jewish dishes, and one of them oh. was called uh, stracotto, okay. um, which is like a, a red wine kind of briskety type dish so this was really um my brisket was really inspired by that um it looks delicious yeah you know i mean what braised meat isn't delicious Uh, (laughs) but when i when i saw the i thought it sounded a little french but then the honey was like really interesting and kind of yeah well jewish brisket tends to have some sweet element so often it's like brown sugar or Mm. some they dump in a can of like you know some some people use Coca-Cola. I mean, really? just yeah. really kind of interesting. Fruit, maybe yeah. sometimes fruit, sometimes pineapple um, or cranberry sauce. Okay. So I was kind of trying to go in that into that world, but um, honey to me just seemed like a fresh way to do it. And if you're serving it on um, Rosh Hashanah, where it's the um, apples and honey are kind of the the main things that you eat on Rosh Hashanah, it's kind of a perfect way to kind of segue into that. And by the way, I love how you describe things because you write this. Excuse me. This version of slow, uh, wait. This ver- this version slow cooks the meat in a sweet and tangy mixture of honey and red wine until it sighs and falls apart at the touch of a fork. <laughs> <laughs> that just like that kind of melts my heart right there. Um, <laughs> no pun intended. 
Do you have any plans? I'm sure people ask you this all the time. Do you have any plans to launch a food business of some sort with all your expertise and, you know, oh, thanks. recreating this food? You know, I really consider myself to be, um, you know, a journalist who cooks uh, mm-hmm. more than anything. And I love um, the explore, exploration of, mm-hmm. uh, I think I've said the word explore like 17 times because that's really what I, what I like <laughs> to do. You're um, an explorer. I'm an yeah. explorer, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, you know, for me, it's really about um, digging into what out there and I I can't imagine a better profession to do that than being a food writer so I just feel really lucky to get to do that right on yeah and what's next um, in the pipeline for projects Ah, oh, it's a good question. Right now, um, <laughs> I'm focused on marketing this book, um, mm-hmm. and you know, I'm traveling to California, and I had a baby back last July, Congrats. so that's a big project right now. That's a lot of work. Yeah, figuring on your plate. out a lot of lot of baby food um, right. activities going on right now. Um, but I would love to write another cookbook, and I'm sort of just in the process of figuring out what it'll be. Awesome! Yeah. I can't wait to see it. Thank you. Um, so, Leah, you're going to be touring around Los Angeles. Where can we find your info like leahkoenig.com yeah my, awesome. um, yeah my website is a great place to to check that all out it's just l-e-a-h-k-o-e-n-i-g.com all right check out the tour dates and also on march 23rd leah's going to return to the city and 31st oh sorry march, what did i say you said 23rd oh okay <laughs> which is my birthday so i like that day <laughs> But March 31st. So March 31st, we're going to be at Powerhouse Books talking, uh, myself, that is, and Leah, and author Louisa Shafia are going to be talking with journalist Beth Cracklauer about cooking your culture, um, discuss- discussing these books and hopefully many of the topics around them. Yeah, I think it's going to be great. So looking forward to that. Me too. All right. Well, thank you so much, Leah. Um, it's been a pleasure having you. And uh, everyone check out Modern Jewish Cooking. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. Thanks. Oh, I like the way you do. The Eat Your Words theme song is Lovin' Like This by the California Honey Drops. The way you took it so slow. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.